I want to invite you to open with me in your Bibles tonight to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And tonight we're concluding our series on worship, where we've gone from Genesis to Revelation and looking at what the Bible teaches us about worship. This is our 21st week uh, in this series that we're finishing up tonight with uh, a look at what the book of Revelation would teach us about worship. Now, uh, during worship tonight, I did look around and I saw a few yawns tonight. So I'm going to do my best to keep you all awake uh, this evening uh, as we move through this final uh, message on worship. You know, we've covered a lot of ground over the last 20 weeks, but as we've done that, there have been two themes that have continually come to the surface. I want to just highlight those for us again tonight before we get into Revelation. The first theme that we've seen over and over again is that worship is more than the songs that we sing. Worship is more than the songs that we sing. Now, it's not less than that. It's certainly not less than the songs that we sing. And, and the songs that we sing as we give voice to our praise and, and give voice to our hearts, pouring them out before God, those are important. And by saying that worship is more than that, I'm not trying to diminish in any way the importance that singing our praises to God entails in our life. But, but worship is more than the songs that we sing. And we saw that in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I'm going to flip back there and, and read that quickly. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Very familiar verse that many of you, I'm sure, know. But the Apostle Paul says that I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. From, from this passage and several others, we laid out the definition of worship and that true worship is the offering of our total selves to the Lord. All of our life, all of our heart, all of our desires, everything, everything belongs to the Lord. That is worship. It is the total offering of all of ourselves, where we hold nothing back, but we lay it all on the altar to the Lord. That is true worship. Of course, the songs that we sing involves that but it's, it goes beyond that and it moves into how we live our lives, that we live them for the Lord. And the Apostle Paul says that that is an act of true worship. The second thing, that's the first thing that we've seen. The second thing we've seen is that worship can be directed in one of two directions. Worship can be directed in one of two directions. And we saw that from Romans chapter 1, that Worship can either be directed towards the Creator, or as worshiping beings, we will direct our worship to something else which is part of the creation. 
And so that when we follow God, when we love God, when we serve God, when we submit our lives to the Lord, that we direct our worship towards the Creator, and that when we do not do that, we're directing our worship towards the creation. And so it's either creator worship or creation worship, which can involve self-worship as well because we are part of God's creation. And so these two themes have been important for us. We've seen them as we've moved through Revelation or moved from Genesis to Revelation. And it should be no surprise to us that we will actually find these two themes again here in the last book of the Bible, in the book of Revelation. And before we start... I'm going to ask for God's help tonight. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It is your revelation to us, your self-disclosure of your nature, your character, your personhood, who you are. Lord, your perfect revelation is in the word made flesh, Jesus Christ, your son. That if we have seen him, we have seen you, the father. Lord, we pray and ask that through our time together that we would see Jesus more we would see him more clearly, that we would behold him in all of his beauty and all of his splendor and all of his majesty, that you would open our eyes to, to see the beauties of Christ and that we would fall down on our knees and worship in front of his throne tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Revelation is an interesting book in the Bible and it's the only book in the New Testament that is like it. The New Testament is full of history and letters, and then we come to Revelation, which is prophetic literature, apocalyptic literature. The book of Revelation is full of imagery and symbolism that sometimes freaks people out. You got dragons, you got beasts, you got grasshoppers and scorpions stinging and killing a third of the world population. You got stuff like that in there that tends to scare people off from reading the book of Revelation. And then on top of all of that, I don't know if you've noticed, but people tend to have different interpretations on what all of the symbolism means. Some people think that the grasshoppers are Apache helicopters, you know, things like that. And oh, in this chapter, there's atomic bombs. And oh, and in this chapter, here's Vladimir Putin, et cetera, et cetera. Different interpretation of what the symbolism means that can sometimes lead to a heated debate uh, over those things. And I don't know if you've ever been involved in one of those debates over what the book of Revelation means and what those symbols might entail. But most people don't enjoy debate. Most people don't enjoy conflict. And so most people just tend to avoid Revelation altogether because they don't really want to get in to all of that, which I think is a sad thing because the book of Revelation was written for our good and for our benefit. And we are the poorer for avoiding this final book of the Bible. But I want to say something uh, provocative tonight because I've been saying provocative things all day. Might as well just keep doing it. I believe that Revelation is the most agreed upon book in the New Testament. Even with all of the debates, that all Christians, I'll even say it this way, all Christians believe that Revelation is teaching the same thing. All Christians agree on the meaning of the book of Revelation. Every denomination, 
Though they can't hardly agree on anything else, should we baptize infants, should we not? Should we have steeples, should we not? Should we gather on the seventh day or the first day? You know, all these things that denominations divide over, they agree on the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation is even something that Protestants and Catholics agree on. Even though we can't even agree on the nature of the atonement, we agree on the meaning of the book of Revelation. And the whole book of Revelation can be summarized in two words. In two words. And on these two words, all Christians agree. And I was talking to Chauncey before service, and I told him I was going to summarize Revelation into two words, and he said, what is it, the end? I thought that was good. It's probably better than what I came up with, but... That is not the two words that all Christians agree on. The book of Revelation teaches two words, and on these two words, all Christians agree. Jesus wins. Jesus wins. That is the message of the book of Revelation. Jesus wins. And on those two words... All Christians agree that Jesus wins. Now, this is where the agreement starts and ends because how Jesus wins and where Jesus wins and when Jesus wins, all of that is debated. But on the fact that Jesus is the final victor, there is no debate. The story of the book of Revelation is the story of the Lamb's triumph. The triumph of the Lamb over the dragon, over the serpent, over the beast, over the false prophet, over the other beast, over every enemy that exalts itself against Christ. Jesus is victorious. And while we may disagree on how he will win and when he will win and where he will win and what will happen between now and when he does win. While there's lots of debate upon that, notice what isn't up for debate. Jesus wins. The victory of Christ is as certain as the ground that we stand on. Jesus wins. And Revelation, the book of Revelation... It is not the story of the devil taking over the world. Quite the opposite. The book of Revelation tells the story of Jesus taking over his creation and making all things new. That's what this book is about. If you look at chapter 1, verse 1, It gives us a hint about what this book is about. What is being revealed in this book. And that's where this book gets the title is from this first word. The, the Greek word is apocalypto or apocalypse. The, the, all that word means is unveiling. Apocalypse doesn't mean the end of the world. The apocalypse means the unveiling. The, the pulling back of. The, the revealing of. And I know a lot of people think that the book of Revelation is the revealing of the beast or the revealing of the Antichrist. But 
I don't know how anybody could believe that because it tells us in the first sentence that the book of that this book is the revelation of what? Jesus Christ. This book is not about the devil or the beast or the antichrist. This book is about Jesus Christ. And his being revealed finally and fully. The revealing of Jesus Christ. And it tells us just a little bit about who he is in verse 5. One of my favorite verses in the Bible. Verse 5, that Jesus Christ is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of kings on the earth. You notice here that John is not writing about Jesus in the future tense, but the present tense. This is because Jesus himself rose in victory, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and himself declared all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. That Jesus rules the kings of the earth. Amen. And so I want to look at two contrasting pictures from the book of Revelation. The worship of the Lamb and the worship of the beast. There's two systems of worship. Remember, we will either worship the creation or we will worship the creator. We will either worship the Lamb or we will worship the beast. And so let's look at Revelation chapter 4 and 5. There is a challenge in the book of Revelation as it's, it's not, uh, they're visions. They're, they're not letters. They're, they're not arguments. They're visions. And so to just jump into the middle is very difficult. But in Revelation chapter 4, John is given a vision of the throne room of heaven. The throne room of heaven and seated on the throne, the one that is seated on the throne and the great vision that he sees of God seated on his throne and, and how he, he attempts to describe it with, with all of the imagery that he puts there. But look here at, at verse 8 of chapter 4. It says that there's these living creatures, they're, they're flying around the, the throne room. This, of course, parallels Isaiah chapter 6 and the vision Isaiah saw. And it says that these creatures, as they see him who is seated on the throne, that day and night they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever. And they cast down their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, 
to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. This vision that John sees of the throne room of heaven, where the heavenly hosts are worshiping the Father and praising his name. And then in verse 5, this vision continues. He says, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. I want to draw your attention here to the fact that the lamb has conquered. The lamb has conquered. Past tense. Not the lamb will conquer. One day, way out in the sweet by and by, no, he has conquered. And when did he conquer? On the day that he rose from the dead. He conquered Satan, sin, and death, and hell. Verse 6, it says, Between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. With seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, past tense. You were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, past tense. From every tribe and language and people and nations, and you have made, past tense, have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. How did the Lamb conquer? He conquered by being slain. He, he conquered by laying down his life, by shedding his blood, by ransoming a people for himself. And he is making us a kingdom of priests that we will reign with God on the earth. 
Verse 11, he says, And then I looked, and around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, and saying with a loud voice, this, this huge sea of humanity, this huge sea of people, this huge sea of the redeemed, singing in unison, singing with one voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, let's say it with them, amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. The lamb has conquered. The lamb has conquered. And because the lamb has conquered, it says that he is able to go and to take this scroll He's able to take the scroll and to, to break its seals and to open its seals. The lamb takes the scroll and the lamb holds the scroll. He, he holds it in his hand. And the lamb, he was slain and he has ransomed a people for himself. And you and I are a part of that people. Amen. You and I are a part of that great chorus. Amen. You and I are a part of those who, who worship the lamb who sing this song with all creation. Worthy are you to receive honor and glory and power and might to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. We sang that song tonight. Be blessing and honor and glory and power. We are part of that group, part of that chorus, part of that multitude, part of that sea of the redeemed that worship the Lamb. The lamb holds the scroll. The lamb takes the scroll. The, the, the lamb was slain. The lamb has redeemed a people. And he's making them into a kingdom of priests. And then verse 6, or chapter 6, sorry, it continues. Just here, look at one of the first verses here in chapter 6, verse 1. Now I watched when the lamb opened one of the seven seals. And I heard one of the, living, the four living creatures say with a loud voice like thunder, Come. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And this rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer. Not only does the lamb have the authority to, to take the scroll, the lamb has the authority to open its seals. Now, if I started going into what the scroll is and what the seals are, that's where we would start to get into the weeds of where we would all have some interesting debates. And I'm not wanting to stir that up tonight. So yes, I have my idea on the scroll and the seals, but I want to stay on the big picture, which I think Revelation is trying to communicate to us. And if we just, if, when we zoom in too close, we miss the big picture of what God wants to communicate to us. We miss the whole thing when we get in too close. So, but, but the point of the, this is, 
that everything that unfolds from this point forward in the book of Revelation is under the guidance and the sovereign decree and control of the Lamb. It is the Lamb who is directing the show. It is the Lamb who is holding the scroll. It is the Lamb who is opening the seals. It is the Lamb who is the King of kings and the ruler of the kings of the earth. The, 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 the direction that human history will go will be under the sovereign guidance and direction of the Lamb. That is not in question. So we can have this supreme confidence in the victory of the Lamb who has conquered and who is conquering and who will conquer and be victorious. He is the one who is directing this show and opening the seals and unleashing what comes from them. It is not the devil that holds the scroll. It is not the devil who is directing human history. It is Christ. It is the Lamb. He is the one who holds the scroll. So we don't have to, we don't, as believers, at some point I'm going to get into worship, but we as believers, we do not live by the news cycle. We are to live by this. To live by this. This is set. The news and what's happening here and there. I mean, how do you even know anymore? We, we live in this world of fake news, and it's about to get a whole lot worse with AI. A million times worse. With deep fakes and... I mean, I heard a recording the other day of, of someone's voice, and all they did was had to type in what they wanted that person to say, and it sounded just like them. You can go online and, and pick almost any celebrity and just type in what you want them to say, and it'll spit out a recording in two seconds, and it sounds really good. It's not perfect, but this is like 1.0 beta. Wait till five weeks from now. Wait till two years from now. This is what we base our life on. This is what we base our life on. I, I, my, my optimism, my, my confidence in the Lord is not shaken by wars and rumors of wars. It's not shaken by the stock market up and the stock market down. It's not shaken by supply chain issues and this, that, and the other. It's not shaken by whether or not I was going to say something really bad, and the Lord just really helped me. But if you want to know, I'll tell you after church. But it's not shaken by those things, because our confidence is not in men. Our confidence is in the Lamb who was slain and who has conquered and who is conquering and to conquer. And so here we see this picture of those who worship the Lamb. And as we read through the book, of, the, the book of Revelation, those who worship the Lamb are victorious. 
They are victors in Christ. And those who worship the Lamb and do not bow to the idols and do not bow to the dragon and do not bow to the beast, they are overcomers. They overcome. And it says that they overcome by the word of their testimony and by the blood of the Lamb. And they love not their lives even unto death. That we conquer the enemy through our submission to Christ. That's in Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of their testimony. They love not their lives even unto death. Those who worship the Lamb will be victorious. Those who worship the Lamb will overcome, will not fall, will not fail, because we are kept by the power of the blood of the Lamb. We who worship the Lamb will persevere to the end because He will keep us. He keeps us. He guards us. It is His blood that has washed us and we love Him more than anything in the world. Verse 15 of chapter 11. Just this powerful statement. I'm just going to read it out of context. Because trying to place it in a context would get us all into trouble. But I'll just say that this is sure. that This will happen. Jesus wins. Revelation 11, chapter 15. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of the world of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever. The kingdoms of this world, the darkness that's in the world, we see darkness all around us. Christ is going to conquer that darkness. One day that, that darkness will be light so that his light is going to permeate to every square inch of this planet. The Bible says that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. That is where history is going. That is where we are going. We are not on the losing side. All of this talk of well, you want to be on the right side of history, don't you? Open up to Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. This is where history is going. Where the world will be the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. We are on the right side of history. So that's the lamb. I want to contrast it with the worship of the beast. And that's found in Revelation chapter 13. Revelation 13. 
I'm going to bring, I'm gonna bring this home, bring this in. And kids, listen to this. This will spook you out so you can't even sleep tonight, all right? <laughs> Revelation 13. <laughs> You're welcome, parents. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadem, diadems on those are crowns on its horns, and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet were like a bear's, its mouth was like a lion's mouth, and to it, that is the beast, the dragon, that is Satan, gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. Do you hear that? The whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon. For he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast? And who can fight against it? Do you see the contrasting pictures here? The worship of the Lamb, the worship of the one who was slain and was resurrected, and then the worship of the one who, who had some sort of wound and, and now is alive, and Satan giving his, his power to this beast, and, and, and the world worshiping the beast and singing its praises, who is like the beast and who can fight against it. Verse 5, the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous, blasphemous words. And the beast was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemes against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling. That's, that's cursing God. That is those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed... Hear this, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation. Verse 8, and all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. The whole earth will worship the beast except those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Those who worship the Lamb will not worship the beast. They will not bow the knee to the beast. They, they will not give in. Though the whole world may worship the beast and worship Satan through this beast, those who worship the Lamb will not worship the beast. Verse 9, he says, If anyone has an ear to hear, let him hear. Verse 10, he talks about the persecution that comes to those who worship the lamb. If anyone is to be taken captive to captivity, he, or worships the lamb, yes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. And then here, John says, here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. 
Listen, all throughout church history, the faithful in many different times in many different places have been persecuted for their faith in the Lamb. Have endured persecution because they would not bow the knee to the beast. They would not bow to Caesar in the first century. And all throughout church history, we have seen God's people who have had to endure persecution. But what we need to know as God's people is even if we must go through persecution, God's plan has not failed. God's plan has not failed. And here is the call for endurance, for the endurance of the faith of the saints. Even if things get hot around us, we will not bow to the beast. He goes again to talk about another beast who comes up out of the sea, or rather rising up out of the earth. And the second beast is also worshipped. And in verse 16, notice it says, This beast causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark that is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. This mark of the beast is put on those who worship the beast. The beast has satanic power. The beast is worshipped by the nations. The beast blasphemes God. But notice this. If you worship the Lamb, if your your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, you will not worship the beast. Nor will you take his mark. Christians don't have to be Worried about accidentally taking the mark of the beast. It's not like you're going to wake up one day and accidentally have taken it. If you worship the lamb, you will not worship the beast. And if you do not worship the beast, you will not take his mark. That's what this is telling us. If your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, you will not take the mark of the beast. So you don't need to be worried if they come out with a new flu vaccine. Is that the mark of the beast? It's, it's, that's not the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast is given to those who worship the beast, and those who worship the beast are those who do not worship the Lamb. Now, there are a lot of people who may even call themselves Christian who do not worship the Lamb. There's a lot of people in churches who do not worship the Lamb. There's a lot of churches that that not a soul in them worships the Lamb. 
We know that on the last day, when we stand before Christ, Jesus says that many will hear these words, depart from me, I never knew you. There are those who may be involved in some form of religion, but they don't worship the Lamb. They're not living for God and living for His glory. They're not living their lives as worship unto the Lord. No, they're living for themselves. They sprinkle a little bit of religion on top. They sprinkle a little bit of VBS, Jesus come into my heart. But they're not living for Christ and they're not worshiping the Lamb. They are worshiping the beast. People who think that they are following Jesus, but they are not. There's a lot of churches who worship the beast and not the lamb. In in fact, there is a kind of a mark of the beast, a kind of, I'm not saying it is the, I'm saying it is a a kind of, a symbol of, of beastly worship that is flying outside of many churches today. A flag, which was God's symbol of grace in a time of judgment, they've, they've hijacked the rainbow. That is a sign, that is a mark of beastly worship. That is a system of worship. It is a, a religious system that is living in rebellion against God. And it is a sign of someone who is involved in beast worship. Now, what I, I don't hear what I'm not saying, and I'm not saying that everyone who is tempted in those sins has taken the mark of the beast. That is not what I am saying. Because I know that with the power of the blood of Jesus and the Holy Spirit, we can overcome any temptation to sin. And that there is no temptation to sin that is beyond the healing and saving power of Jesus. So, so anyone who, who may be tempted in a particular sin, I'm not saying that you have taken the mark of the beast. That's not what I'm saying. Do not hear that. The book of Corinthians makes it clear that there was some in the congregation there that had been set free from that lifestyle by the power of Christ. Such were some of you. But that not only has happened in Corinth, that's happened here at Destiny Church. Every Sunday at Destiny Church, we have people walking in victory over that ideology and those temptations by the power of the blood of the Lamb. But I want to show you what happens to those who worship the beast. See this in Revelation 14, verse 9. We'll wrap up with this. Revelation 14, verse 9. Another angel, a third angel, followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives the mark on his forehead or on his hand, what's the outcome of of his life? Is it victory? No. He will drink the wine of God's wrath poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, 
and they have no rest day or night, these worshipers of the beast and its image and whoever receives its mark of its name. And again, another call for endurance in verse 12. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. What does the book of Revelation tell us about worship? It tells us that it can be directed in either one of two directions. It can be true worship of the true and living God, or it can be false worship, beast worship. There is no in-between. We either worship the creator or we worship the creation. We either worship the lamb or we worship the beast. And those who worship the lamb will overcome, are victorious, will be kept by God, and will share in eternity with Christ, ruling and reigning world without end in paradise. And those who worship the beast will suffer condemnation, will suffer destruction, will suffer the pains and the torments of hell. These are the, this is the stark picture that the book of Revelation paints for us. Again, worship is more than the songs that we sing. You can worship the beast without singing songs to the beast. It's about what we are living for. Are you living for Christ? Are you worshiping the Lamb? Is your life directed and all of your life energy focused into Christ and living for his glory and being a part of his kingdom, seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? I believe that you are. I don't, I don't, I don't believe you'd be here on a Sunday night if you weren't. I know you're not here for the entertainment value. I know you're here because you love Jesus. And to you I say, you will overcome. We will overcome. We will be victorious. Because the Lamb has overcome.